Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you all. My name is Jay. If you're new here, I am one of the pastors. And uh, each and every Sunday morning, we gather together to worship God, to hear from his word, to sit under the authority of his word, and to be renewed, hopefully, Lord willing, in spirit. Would you stand with us? We're going to begin our service with a call to worship. This is this might be a, a familiar passage for, for some of you. I would encourage you to listen, uh, prepare your hearts, and uh, yeah, listen with some fresh ears today. This is John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's pray together. O God, our most generous Father, you are, You have given us more than we could ever hope or deserve in giving us your son who died and has risen, conquering death and reconciling us to you. God, we thank you for the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus. We thank you for not sending Christ to condemn us, but to save us. Oh God, may we worship you, our benevolent God, for your love and mercy toward us. Would you please give us hearts that sing out of the abundance of your love for us? We give this time to you. Would you please be with us here through the power of your Holy Spirit? We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. 
power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I become His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my My answer. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my Father's generosity in giving us his son. In Philippians 2, we see Jesus' own generosity in emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant. Our King Jesus condescends to us, letting go of his own rights and privileges so that we might know him and worship him. Listen to Philippians 2, 4 through 11. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please sing with us. You are the word of the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation. And now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is.
and sing, I stand amazed in the presence. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. We're singing how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my Savior's love for me oh how sins and my sorrows he made them his very own he bore my burden to Calvary suffered and died alone we're singing how marvelous how shall ever be. Sing it out. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Oh, how marvelous, how wonderful. When we in glory his face I at last shall see twill be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me we're singing how marvelous how wonderful How marvelous, 
You may be seated. This mic on. There it is. Good morning. Welcome to City Church. Uh, my name is Tyler, and I am a pastoral resident here. Uh, we are a church that is aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city, and it's great to be worshiping with you. I think um, even just thinking about that song and the, the idea of letting our song be singing the love of Jesus has always been um, something that stuck out to me about that hymn, and I think something also about the Psalms that's very uh, helpful to see how important praising God is together in just corporate worship is that the last three Psalms out of all 150 are all about praise. And the last one has that famous line, let everything praise the Lord. So just great to be with you, worshiping together, singing together. Um, it's at the heart of what we do. So uh, if this is your first time here or your uh, tenth time here, however much, you got a connection card in your bulletin. Um, that is a great way for us to get to know you and also be praying for you on a weekly basis. So um, if you fill that out, you can express interest in the life of our church. You can do that in the card, but you can also do it online at citychurchgnv.com slash connection. So same place goes to the same place, but if you want to type out um, on, on a phone tablet or whatever, you can do that online as well. Um, we worship a generous God, and so part of our response and worshiping God is also giving generously. Uh, most people at City Church give online at citychurchgnv.com slash give. Uh, but there's also a brown box in the back of the sanctuary that you can also fill out an envelope and give that way as well. Uh, so we do say we, we aspire to be an authentic community. And part of that is having community groups. So our community groups are up and running. They uh, don't really go on break except for in the summer. And uh, that's a great place if you're getting to know our church to really get connected to our community and fellowship. Uh, but it's also a place where we share a meal together, uh, we study the Bible, and also sometimes sing, too, depending on which group you're in. Some are more comfortable with that. Um, so there are in the back of the table uh, cards for community groups, so you can check those out the different times that work best for you throughout the week. Um, another community-related event, uh, maybe a walking with God, kind of an event is this today, uh, right after the service or second service, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., we have our membership class. So we do this uh, you know, every two, three months at City Church. This is both for people who are interested in becoming members of City Church to learn more about the church, but it's also a great way if you are really just wanting to know what, what are the more um, detailed facets of being a part of City Church. You can come to this class and sit in it, learn it. There's no pressure to become a member, um, but it is a really great way to learn about our statement of faith, learn about uh, the different ministries we have to get involved in. So that's going to be one to five uh, after the second service today in the community room, which is the room right behind the lobby. Um, so please, if, if you are interested, uh, just talk to one of us after the service. Um, some related uh, walking with God items, just following that theme, we have adult education classes still going on in our church. We've been announcing them each week, so I'm going to briefly go through them. But one of them is called um, The Significance of God's Presence and Ours. It's called Physical Education. So we're looking at what does it mean that God is actually present with us, and then what are some of those implications, especially in our digital age, for how we should be physically present. So it's a super relevant topic. Um, you know, Chipper's been saying probably top three pastorally. Um, so it's not too late. There are two more sessions uh, it's on break this week, but it resumes next Monday at 7 p.m. The other class that's going on is Wednesday nights, uh, 6.30 to 8, Questioning Christianity. 
this is a class that is geared more towards people who might be skeptical about the Christian faith, but it's also really geared towards people who just want, maybe you're a Christian and you are going through a season of doubt, or you want to be better equipped on how to share the gospel with friends or people that you know. This is a great opportunity to just learn more about how does Christianity really compare to other philosophies or worldviews. Uh, the, the session this week is going to be on identity. So we'll look at identity and how does Christianity speak to that uniquely. And then next the week after that will be on morality. So if you have any questions about the class, uh, feel free to reach out to me or talk to me after the service. Okay, um, City Roots Project is still going on as well. So City Roots Project, we launched and announced that we're actually going to be purchasing our building downtown for permanent presence in this area. Um, if you haven't really heard much about that or you are interested in learning more about what it would look like to come alongside us and partnering with us to do that, uh, we still have opportunities to do home visits. People can come to you and speak and share more about, hey, why are we even interested in staying in downtown long term? Um, there are booklets in the back uh, hospitality table that you can pick up, um, and there are also prayer booklets to go through this month when it comes to how can we be praying as a church for this project. So um, please feel free to stop by the hospitality table or, again, ask us any questions about that project as well. Um, and then, uh, lastly, uh, street outreach opportunity today. So we have a team of people that uh, goes out on a Sunday morning uh, once a month and tries to build relationships with people downtown who are experiencing homelessness. Um, this is something we do monthly. Obviously, as a church, we want to be engaged in our city. That's part of our mission statement um, or a vision statement. But it, this is a good opportunity to do it as a, as a team with people that you know in your church. So obviously, we can do this throughout the week on our own times. It doesn't have to be the only time we reach out to people who are on the street or who are experiencing homelessness. But this is a great opportunity to do it alongside other Christians or, or faith family. So at 1 p.m., it's going to be meeting at 1.30, but at 1 p.m., if this is your first time and you've never done something like street outreach, and you, and you think about that, and you think, man, that makes me nervous just going up to people I don't know. How do I even do that well? Is that even effective? All those questions are really great questions. Um, and so that's why at 1 p.m. you can come to the community room, and we'll do like a short briefing and tell you about what would it look like to be a part of this team, how do you do that well, um, and then we'll actually be going out today at 1.30, and probably for about an hour and a half, start to build relationships with people downtown. Um, so I, I do lead this team, so if you have any questions about it, please feel free to reach out to me, or if you have any questions about how, how should I be interacting with people who might be experiencing homelessness in my community, what's some wisdom on that, what's some counsel, um, please feel free to talk to me as well or anybody on our staff, because it's definitely a huge part of walking with God in our city, and we want to be as engaged as possible. Um, in downtown. So um, those are our announcements. And now I'm going to welcome up Chipper. Come up. Those were great announcements. <laughs> really strong. Um, my name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Just so you know, I love Sunday mornings. I love worshiping with you. I love hearing you sing. I love hearing scripture read up here. It is so outrageously edifying. Pastors are kind of obligated to like Sundays, but I actually do enjoy them very much. The highlight of my week is seeing all of you and worshiping with you. So our passage this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. We're in a series where we're going um, passage by passage through the whole book of 2 Corinthians. Probably my favorite 
book in the Bible, and this passage actually contains what might be my favorite verse and my favorite book of the entire Bible. The passage will be up here on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull those out and follow along with us. There are blue Bibles in the baskets in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take that Bible with you today and never give it back. And read it and consume it. Wear it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-15. through 15. If you are physically able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. That as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that we would take your word so seriously this morning, and that even as we're standing and eventually seated, I pray that we would be pleading with you silently in our hearts that you might use this text and make us very different people. Every time we worship on a Sunday morning, corporately in this way, that we will leave different, as we'll talk about this morning more in awe of you, more captured by your greatness and your glory. Spirit, work among us in great power. Surprise us accordingly. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we are talking about generosity, which in my opinion is kind of like buying Preparation H at CVS. The awkwardness seems to endure. No, how, just no matter how many times you go about it, how many times you've bought it in the past, doesn't matter. It's always awkward. And if you don't know what that is, by the way, do look that up on your phone after the service so that the um, internet cookies can drag that into every part of your internet life. 
And not only are we talking about generosity this morning, as we continue in our series in 2 Corinthians, we just talked about it back in January in the build-up to our City Roots campaign. So, so in our case, this is, like, this is like the awkward uncle who keeps telling you the same story every Thanksgiving. But as it turns out, you really can't talk too much about generosity since, get this, generosity is one of the most gracious opportunities that God has given us here on this earth. Seriously. Not only is generosity not a burden, not an imposition, we'll see in our text this morning and in the next couple of weeks as well, it's actually a very beautiful way to experience God's generosity and then grow in Christ together. And I am convinced that some of the spiritual lethargy and depression we experience has to do with taking a pass on living generously. Three reflections this morning as we consider this passage together. Number one, an example of generous living. Number two, the source of generous living. And then number three, the benefits of generous living. It's been years since I did three of these reflections. Usually it's two if you come here often. I promise you that third one is really brief. An example of generous living, the source of generous living, then finally the benefits of generous living. We'll begin with that first reflection. What, what is this example we find in our text of generous living? We've mentioned a few times throughout the Second Corinthians series the Apostle Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth was rather fraught. Even though Paul helped start the church at Corinth and was essentially their spiritual father, the Corinthians wrestled quite a bit with conflict and quite a bit with idolatry. And eventually a growing number of people in Corinth began to disparage Paul and the gospel message that he was proclaiming. We've talked about this. I mean, people were disparaging him for his rhetorical abilities, his physical appearance. The suffering that he was enduring was brutal. Around 55 AD, after writing a couple of letters to address these ongoing issues, Paul made a check-in visit to Corinth, which ended up being an exceedingly painful visit, as he describes it, because he encountered exactly the kind of personal disparagement that he'd been hearing about. So Paul left Corinth, he went to Ephesus, and then he wrote them a third severe letter, again his words, that we don't have a record of today. That severe letter, delivered to the Corinthians by Paul's ministry partner, his ministry buddy, Titus, thankfully hit spiritual pay dirt, which led to a substantial amount of repentance and the Corinthian church, which reestablished some receptivity to Paul and his spiritual authority. Then Titus returned to Paul with this really encouraging news of spiritual reformation. And by this time, Paul had, had made his way from Ephesus to Macedonia. And this news greatly encouraged Paul and motivated him to write the Corinthians a fourth letter, which is 2 Corinthians, the letter that we've been in this past year. How great 
was the spiritual transformation occurring in Corinth. How encouraged was Paul exactly when he got this news from Titus? Look at chapter 8, our passage this morning, verse 6. Apparently, under Titus's leadership, the Corinthians had originally started this, this act of grace. And this act of grace is a reference to a financial collection that the Corinthian Christians were organizing on behalf of churches in Judea, particularly the church in Jerusalem. At the time, it was hard being a church anywhere in the Roman Empire, including in Corinth, but it was particularly difficult to be a church in Jerusalem since the church had to deal with suspicion from the Romans and significant persecution from Jewish religious authorities. So it makes a lot of sense that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem needed financial help and assistance from other churches. However, when things got contentious in Corinth, the church put this collection on hold, partly because one of the controversies concerned the collection itself. They were in conflict over everything, one of those things being the actual collection. Some wondered, or, or maybe even nefariously suggested, that the collection they were taking up was effectively going to be a slush fund for the Apostle Paul, which wasn't the case, but you know, that's what some people were saying. And consider how much you would give to City Church if you heard that I was building a vacation house in you know, Martha's Vineyard or the Bahamas or whatever. That would give you some pause. And so the rumors were going around, and the collection dried up. It stopped. But Paul was so optimistic about their spiritual progress. He was so fired up because of that report he got from Titus that he now felt he could confidently exhort the Corinthian believers to resume this collection and thereby finish the act of grace. Now, here's the beginning of a surprisingly winsome pattern in Paul's approach to generosity that I'm going to make a big deal about this morning and then in, in the following two weeks. As Paul encouraged the Corinthians to finish this act of grace, he used the Macedonian Christians as an example, an example that turns out to be one of the best portraits of generosity in the entire Bible. The Macedonians living in the area of modern-day Macedonia and in northern Greece, were participating in the same collection the Corinthians were supposed to be participating in, and they were doing so for the following reasons. Check this out. This is wild. Verse 1. They were participating, the Macedonians were participating in this collection because of God's grace. We'll come back to that later. And this is where it starts to get nuts. Verse 2, they were participating in the collection in light of, or because of, their severe affliction and suffering, which... <laughs> Verse 2, they were participating out of their abundance of joy. Verse 2, again, they were participating in light of, or because of, their extreme poverty. And all of this produced generosity that is described as overflowing, 
verse 2, and beyond their means, verse 3. And they were so enthusiastic that they were, again, this is, these are Paul's words, this is the text, not, they were begging. They were begging for the favor of participating in this collection, verse 4. If you want to make my day, I check my calendar. I do have room for this in my schedule. If you want to make my day, show up at my office begging for the favor of sending in a tithe or participating in the, the City Roots Project. This is shocking generosity from the Macedonians. Often we think of suffering as something that, that embitters us toward God. And sometimes it does. But in the case of the Macedonians, here's what it did. It actually opened their eyes to the suffering of others to such a degree that they wanted to give to others even in the midst of their own affliction. Often we think of extreme poverty as a very understandable excuse for stinginess. But in the case of the Macedonians, it opened their eyes to the poverty of others, and they gave beyond their means. In other words, they gave in such a way that directly affected their standard of living. The sacrifice was felt in the rhythms of everyday life. And often we think of this kind of generosity as somewhat compulsive, or perhaps self-interested in a, in a hidden way. You're trying to boost your reputation, your image in the community. You want to be a a glorified philanthropist. But in this case, there was no compulsion. And they weren't pining for a, a commemorative mug, you know, or a duffel bag. They gave out of an abundance of joy, which is its own sermon. They're experiencing severe affliction, and yet experiencing simultaneously abundant joy to the degree that they gave generously. We should probably just end there and marvel at the glory of God, that he could so work in people like the Macedonians, they could suffer that extremely and experience joy that abundantly. Church, notice that biblical generosity is so clearly an outflow Generous living comes from somewhere. It's, it's a response to something. That's why on Sunday mornings we say that we worship a, gener a generous God. Part of our responsive worship is giving generously. Generous living, it, it comes from somewhere. It's, it's a response to something. And when generous living comes from somewhere, it will persist in the midst of and even because of suffering and poverty. Which helps me understand the paradoxical reality that some of the most generous people I know are in some of the most dire straits. In fact, right now, mental lists, some of the people that I know in my life that are the most generous are having the most difficult ride in an earthly sense and yet they're generous. When you experience hard things, when you experience suffering, and you have Jesus in your life, you get 
clear insight into the state of this fallen world. And it makes you want to get in the game. It pulls you in. And then on the contrary, generous living is most certainly not something that we drum up in order to earn a certain standing before God or, or to impress other people or to get our name on a plaque. That's why we're not going to be naming our children's rooms here at City Church after generous donors. Someone was joking about naming the restrooms after like us and the staff, and that's hilarious. We're not going to do that either. In fact, when generous living is a means of getting or accomplishing things, when that is the case, we will limit our generosity in line with simply achieving those goals. We get what we're looking for, generosity, we can wrap it up. And any hardship will shut down the generosity enterprise entirely. In some cultures, and this is mainly non-Western cultures, there are such things as, as professional mourners. We call these people moirologists. Moirologist, your word of the day, if you're into that kind of thing. Professional mourners get paid to lament with families grieving the death of loved ones, and so forth. Now imagine that in our culture, maybe we do now, imagine our culture, we had the opposite. We had professional celebrators. Yes, you could pay them and they would attend, for example, the birth of a new baby and they would celebrate with you and they would be so joyful and they would post pictures on Facebook. It would just be, it would just be fantastic. But ultimately, in this scenario, whose joy is really going to persist? The joy of the actual parents of the baby. The paid celebrators will go home when they've put in their hours and they won't really care a lick about your kid anymore. They'll punch out at 5 o'clock and that will be the end of the celebration for them. They've earned their keep. But the joy of the parents will persist. You'll hear about their kids all the time. You'll get way too many pictures. Even in the difficult seasons, when, when the kids are sick, when the kids are stubbornly rebellious, even then, in the background, the joy persists, and it fuels sacrificial generosity for the sake of those kids. And in fact, those difficulties often open your eyes if you're a parent to the plight of single parents or orphans and you end up seeking to serve them out of the abundance of your joy. Why this persistent, generous joy from the actual parents? Because it has a source. Because it's, it's coming from somewhere. We're not just drumming it up with willpower. And more specifically, it's an outflow of their love for something that's just, it's just remarkable. Generosity that's, that's effectively a, a self-interested, manufactured input 
to get favor from God or, or from others. It's like being a professional celebrator, folks. You'll do enough to get yours, and that'll be all. Outflow generosity that comes from something is like being the parents of a, of a brand new baby. You'll increasingly delight in being generous because it increases your enjoyment of the source. It's no burden at all. And about that source, remember, remember verse 1. Paul equates the joyous generosity from the Macedonians with the grace of God. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Or to put it another way, Corinthian Christians, let me show you how the grace of God has manifested itself in the generosity of the Macedonians. The Macedonians have been so blown away by the gracious love of God in Christ that they are joyously giving beyond their means. Don't you read that and think to yourself, especially when you remember, again, about their suffering, their extreme poverty, don't you read that and think, goodness, I want to love Jesus that much. I want to treasure Jesus that much. We don't read passages like this so we can go out of here and just feel the way to go. We, we go through passages like this so we can, we, can, we can experience the beauty of this opportunity. It is possible to be so taken by the grace of God in Christ that you could experience extreme suffering and poverty and be in love with Jesus and give generously. I mean, is that not the most compelling thing in the entire world? And it's a lifestyle that's independent of external circumstances, that does not depend on how things are going to go tomorrow, or next week, or next month. That's compelling in a world where everything seems uncertain, unsure. Well, if you're saying to yourself, I want that, I want to be in awe of God to that degree. You're in luck because we're going to talk about what that source is. And that brings us to our second reflection. This, what is this source of generous living? Here's an example of it. It's so compelling. But what is this, what is this grace that Paul is talking about? Look at verse 8. For a second time, Paul, he implies that the Corinthians should finish their collection, reminding them that he's not commanding them, per se. It's, it's a voluntary collection, which is always as it should be for generous acts. But their behavior will demonstrate or prove something about the genuineness of their love. Although it's not explicit in the text, Paul clearly has in mind their love for Jesus. Their love for Jesus, if it's genuine, will show up in their generosity. And then we're reminded, in verse 9, why someone might love Jesus so passionately. And th- I mean, this is Christianity. This, this is the message. This is the news. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Please memorize that verse. Is there a more beautiful, wonderful verse in all of Scripture? I don't think so. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was and is God, can't be richer than that, he became man and lived among us, experiencing all of the difficulties we face, being tempted beyond belief, losing sleep, all the accoutrements of real personhood, and not only did he become man, he became man and died on the cross. That in his death and in his resurrection, those who repent of their sin and put their hope in him might become children of the eternal immortal God. So if someone asks me, what are you saying as a Christian? What, I mean, what's your, what's your thing? This is what I'm saying. This is the thing. You can't have more than Jesus has because he's God. He's the richest. I mean, you learn that's like the first lesson of Sunday school when you're four. He has all the things. You cannot be richer than God. You cannot be richer than Jesus. And yet, he became poor. He emptied and then humbled himself. See Philippians chapter 2, which we just read earlier. Ultimately to the point of death. That through his poverty... We might become rich. How rich? Great question. Thanks for asking. So rich that Romans chapter 8 calls the children of God fellow heirs with Christ. So now you are an heir with the richest being in the universe. So God ends up being both the richest and the most generous brought to you, sponsored by the poverty of Jesus. And oh, by the way, all of this generosity is purely by the grace of God. It is completely and totally unmerited. And when the grandeur of this divine generosity, when it, when it seeps into our souls, we get joy everlasting. Because we're heirs with the Son of God. Because we're Reunited, we're, we're reconciled with the Father, as we were just talking about in chapter 5. Because we're part of his kingdom, a kingdom that will not end, a kingdom that will ultimately be more spectacular than we can possibly imagine. And that joy, Paul is saying, when we experience it, will overflow into our lives as a wave of gospel generosity. We won't be able to help it. It will show up and the way that we use our money, our time, everything. Remember verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. When you're filled up to that degree with the joy of the Lord, you can give everything. You don't need things from other people because you have what you need in God. And now you can pour yourself out. The only real chance that we have at living generously, faithfully, sacrificially so, is to have our, our socks blown off by the generosity of God. 
Chipper, how do we get our stocks blown off? Number one, even in the midst of poverty and suffering, we remind ourselves regularly of the awesome generosity of God. We remind ourselves again and again and again in his word by, by meeting with one another. Tyler sort of made a joke, but not really earlier about in some community groups we sing together, and some of you are like, I ain't ever going to one of those then. Um, singing is one of the most powerful ways that we have, that God has given us to remind each other. And if you're only singing on Sunday mornings, you're missing out on one of the most powerful tools and resources that God has given us. So get over the awkwardness. We remind ourselves of God's generosity by just going outside and looking up, by looking around. And, and there's something that you, it's not replaceable. I just, the other day, we're, we're doing this class on, on uh, physical education and everything, and you notice, I don't know, 15 years ago, the people that make the, um, the bicycles, whatever came before the Peloton, they decide, you know what would be cool is if we put computer screens in front of you and simulated the mountain, right? And so now you can get on your bike and you can put the screen on. It's like you're, it's like you're riding through the mountains, right? It's, it's like the, it's the one step closer. You're in your living room, but it's like you're in the mountains, except it's really not like that. And if anything, when I look at that screen, it makes me want to be outside even more. It makes it worse. There's something irreplaceable about looking at God's generosity in creation and just going outside and beholding it and just and sitting in it. So that's how we get our socks blown off, by reminding ourselves in these sorts of ways. Then number two, and this is really important, we might need to make some significant adjustments to our understanding of God's generosity. God's generosity is mainly about giving us himself. That's the generosity. And that is great news because that's what we truly need. If we see God's generosity to us as this consistent batch of material goods or experiences or achievements, we'll always be questioning God's generosity because life is just not a positively linear progression of awesomeness. There are peaks and valleys. And when significant suffering comes our way, we might abandon God entirely because, well, he's just not as generous as we thought. But if we see God's generosity primarily as him giving us himself that we might be united with Christ, destined for perfect communion with God in the new heaven and earth, then our joy and our generosity will persist even during the difficult times. You see this. We'll trust that God is using suffering as a kind of refining fire, and we'll say, Lord, use these trials in such a way that I enjoy you and savor you more than I did before the trials. And by the way, God will answer that prayer and draw you ever closer to himself and give you even more joy, and that's where generous living comes from. That's how you get into the loop. And that's how we make sense of the Macedonians. That's why the Macedonians were able to be so generous despite their suffering and extreme poverty. Think about this. If the Macedonians 
had a materialistic understanding of God's generosity, they would never have been generous in the way that Paul is describing. Never. Church, how do you understand the generosity of God? Do we see God as a self-giver or as a, as a stuff-giver, primarily? What comes to your mind first? And deep down, I, I think we know that our main need and our main desire is for God himself. Do you want an absent father who, who sends you checks in the mail? Or would you prefer the simple life with a present father who loves you and cherishes you and comforts you? You know what absent parents often do? And I say this, with, I'm not here to critique or whatever, but they often try to make up for their absence by giving their kids stuff by showing up and doing some extravagant trip all of a sudden to sort of make up for lost time. But we all know that's not a substitute. We've all seen, we've all seen the Hallmark movies. Dad, this is what I, you know, they've lost everything. It's like, but now they have each other. But it's true. When we rightly understand and enjoy God's generosity, which is mainly God himself, then we'll live with extravagant generosity with our money and time regardless of our earthly circumstances. We'll have a persistent generosity. Well, now I'm going to make a turn on you, so to speak. Not really backtracking, but it might look like it for a second, then we'll, then we'll end. We said that the source of our generosity is God's generosity, not some pursuit of earthly benefits. But there are benefits. Look at the benefits that Paul highlights. And that brings us to our third reflection, the benefits of generous living. Paul actually uses the word benefit in verse 10 to let the Corinthians know that it will indeed benefit them to finish the work that they started a year ago. Why will it benefit them? Well, the first reason is kind of, a, kind of an evangelistic reason. Verse 11, it's, it's, it's spiritually healthy to finish what we start because it's an act of faithfulness based on trusting fully in the Lord, and it's a witness to those around us who are watching our lives. Okay, so that's one benefit. And then verses 3 through 14, when we live generously, we end up meeting each other's needs. When we live generously, we end up meeting each other's needs. No one ends up lacking anything because we're primarily concerned with the interests of other people. And those who have a lot of money and a lot of time might end up giving more, but they're not unduly burdened because everyone is doing what they can. It's a captivating picture you find in the early church, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4. And by the way, it's often the case that those with the abundance end up being in need at some point and therefore benefit directly from this culture of generosity. These things tend to kind of shake out a bit in the long run, as Paul is suggesting. And to back up this point, in verse 15, Paul quotes the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 16, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is a reference 
to the season in which Israelites were journeying through the desert, through the wilderness, on their way from Egypt to the promised land. And God miraculously provided food for his people during this journey, uh, specifically bread from heaven, which sounds pretty good, each day of the week, except for the Sabbath. And through Moses, God commanded everyone to gather what they needed each day, nothing less, nothing more. Those with bigger families would gather a lot and have no lack. And those who needed less would gather less. And they would have no lack. In fact, when people failed to trust in God's daily provisions and and save bread for the next day, when they were hoarders, they would wake up to find that bread totally overrun with worms and useless. And Paul is saying this, because we know that God gives himself to us so mercifully, and because we know that the same God will give us exactly what we need, now we are free and we are empowered by God to live generously. We can't outgive God, so to speak. Try it, I dare you. Outgive Him. We can't, though. If we live generously with our time and money and otherwise, He will continue to provide exactly what we need. Do what he says, live obediently according to his commands, and he'll give you exactly what you need. Ignore that advice, those commandments, and the things that you do have will be filled with worms. Live generously and God will provide for everybody, and no one will be in need. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful picture? Have you ever been in a community where no one had any need because people were being so generous? Imagine no one in our church family or even in our downtown community being in need because of the sacrificial generosity of other people. Can you imagine that? And we can grow in that direction. We've got some work to do. But we can grow in that direction because of God's extravagance generosity to us. And it's happened before. Acts chapter 4, we see that among the, the early Christians and the early church, there was not a needy person among them because of all the extreme generosity on the part of the believers. So we're not talking about some sort of like, yeah, that sounds nice. No, this kind of thing is possible. It's happened before. And God could do it again. And the evangelistic potential of this kind of living in this skeptical age is outrageously powerful. You know why people object so much to Christian communities or are, are, are often wounded in Christian communities? It's because those Christian communities, are there's no generosity. And when there's no generosity, when there's no sacrificial generosity, when people are just coming to consume, consume, and to get theirs, the community ends up being chock full of worms and toxic. But conversely, when people are gripped by the love and the power of God in living generously and living sacrificially, you can't just turn your head away. It's captivating. People see that, and they realize some, something, something is going on here. There's something unique about these people, and it's so attractive, and it's so compelling. Imagine people coming into the life of this church community because they've experienced or heard about our generosity, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Won't, won't God do it?
Amen. Every week at City Church, we participate in the Lord's Supper together, which is an opportunity to remember God's generosity and submit to this meal in faith so that the Holy Spirit would take this idea we might have about God's generosity and actually work it into our hearts, right? We all know there's a difference between knowing about the generosity of God and hearing about it and then actually having it just, just saturate our lives and our souls. So one of the reasons among many that we participate in this meal is that the Lord might take this generosity of God in Christ and just and blow our socks off. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples, and during the meal he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup. As he poured it, he said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it. In remembrance of me. And Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We're proclaiming the Lord's generosity. Until he comes again. Because he rose again. He's sent into the presence of the Father. And speaking of generosity, he's coming again. And there he's going to bring his people, his spiritual children, into the new city to enjoy their glorious inheritance. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that you will come. I hope that you will submit to this meal in faith, not to be saved, but to remember afresh the, the foundation of you being saved. If you're here and you would not say that you're a follower of Jesus, we would encourage you to simply reflect on the generosity of God that we've been talking about. After I pray, there will be an elder or a deacon on either side of this table. Whenever you are ready, whenever the Spirit leads you, after the prayer, you're welcome to come and approach the elder or deacon. They'll have a, a bowl with some wafers, and they'll put one in your hand, and you can pivot and grab a cup off of this table. And you can pray up here. You can kneel up here. If you want, you can go back to your chair. And then the elder and the deacon involved with the communion service, once they're done, will be back in the lobby, and they would love to pray for you. And so you are encouraged to take advantage of that. May the Lord use this meal to encourage you to spark outrageous generosity. Usually I'm not a big fan of people you know, falling asleep in the middle of a service, but if you are so generous, if you, if you pour yourself out so generously this week, you are allowed to fall asleep next Sunday because of just sheer exhaustion. Let me pray. Lord, we do give you praise for your generosity. Use this meal to convince our hearts. May, our, may the generosity that maybe we know about in our minds, may it make its way to our hearts in this moment. And Lord, as as we plead with you for that, I pray that we would also, and simultaneously, get a fresh look at our sin, as uncomfortable as that is, that we might confess it and freshly enjoy the grace of God in Christ. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
can losses lead to joy? When all I hold dear is torn from me When I'm broken and alone Is there any hope to help me carry on? I cry out to you, my God. I'll remember all you've done. Help me count it all joy. When the trials come, Lord, to you I run, oh, I'll count it all joy, cause it's where you work to make me more like you. My life is yours, so shape it as you choose, my joy is found in you. Give me faith to brave the night When the darkness covers all I see oh, Till the dawn of morning light I'll hold on to you find refuge in your arms when you say it's for my good help me take you at your word so I'll count it all joy when the trials come and to you I run, oh, I'll count it all joy, cause it's where you work to make me more like you. My life is yours, so shape it as you choose, my joy is found in you. cry out to you, my God. I'll remember all you've done. Yes, I will. When you say it's for my good. Help me take you at your So I'll count it all joy when the trials come and to you I run. Oh, I'll count it all joy because it's where you work to make me more like you. My life is yours, so shape it as you choose. My joy is found in you. Count.
count it all joy looking up to Christ as I run this race oh I count it all joy till this journey ends and I see you face to face my life is yours so shape it as you choose my joy is found in you my joy is found in you my joy is found in you let's stand together while you're standing in thinking about generosity i'm reminded of luke 21 when jesus is describing the widow in the temple who gave what she had. It says this. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Why did she give all that she had? I believe, at least in part, it was because she had a heart that was captivated by the grace and love of God. That she trusted completely in our generous God, that he would be faithful and provide. Her heart, so overwhelmed with faith in a faithful God, freed her to give of herself sacrificially. The only way, church, that we can give sacrificially, whether financially or giving of our time or skills to care for those around us, is by being overwhelmed by how generous God is in giving us Jesus and how generous he is in caring for us each and every day. And then by surrendering all that we have and all that we are to him, trusting in his faithfulness and his goodness toward us. So with that, we're going to sing and surrender ourselves to God now. Let's sing together. Cheers. 
joining us for worship this morning. Uh, Our benediction comes from 1 John 3. By this we know love, 
that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Amen. Let's sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.